All right, welcome back to the Fuse Show, everybody. My name is Bud. I am Chief of Staff at Xfusion.io and the co-host of the Fuse Show. I am excited to be joined today by my guest, Nikola Mirkšić. Nikola is the co-founder and CEO of PolyAI, a leading supplier of conversational AI for automated customer service. Uh, before starting PolyAI, Nikola worked with the Apple Siri team at Cambridge and was the first engineer at Vocal IQ, a dialogue system startup acquired by Apple. Nikola did his PhD at Cambridge working with Professor Steve Young. Nikola, thank you for being on the show. It's great to have you, buddy. And thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. Hey, um, before we get started talking about PolyAI, uh, I just kind of want to get into a little bit about uh, machine learning mm -hmm. and AI itself. And, and let's, uh, I want to talk a little bit about misconceptions okay. about AI and, uh, cause I, I know there are some out there. So what do you think are some of the misconceptions about AI itself and what some of the fears that people have mm -hmm. about AI? Okay. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I watched a lot of films about AI where I just went kind of like, wow, I wish we had that right now. Cause that would be a game changer. I think, you know, the main thing for the substantially general audience, um, more general audience is that we don't really have anything that resembles self-learning just yet. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that whole idea that we'll have AI that improves itself, um, the singularity, right? Like we're really far from that. And I think that anyone who's trained neural networks for any specific task that they do really well, and don't get me wrong, they do many things far better than we as humans can. Um, but anyone who's trained those things and saw how sensitive they were and how difficult it all is, knows that there really is no kind of like, you know, impending doom uh, around AI kind of like going <laughs> after us and, and replicating the matrix uh, as, as much as it would be interesting to see that from a technical perspective. Um, I think then the other thing is just the rate at which people expect that AI will disrupt the workforce because disrupted it will, right? But in ways that we're, we're seeing them play out now, but it's not really, uh, you know, automating jobs directly or straight away, but rather it's making people more and more productive at a frightening rate. But that, in essence, is no different than what technology has done for us historically, right? Uh, you know, we used to plow right. the fields with, you know, pretty unsophisticated tools, and then we started using animals. We moved into kind of like more and more impressive mechanized vehicles. And now, you know, one person can do what you had to have a thousand people for, um, you know, maybe even just a hundred years ago. And it's the same now for jobs of increasing complexity, right? So if you're, say, a lawyer reviewing a term sheet, you might just have a tool that, you know, prepares the work for you and makes you two times faster, right? Or if you're a call center agent, it really removes, in our case, a lot of the simple stuff that you kind of do, and it's repetitive tasks, it's telling people things that they could have found online, and you'll be able to just move that kind of like lower skill labor away from yourself and focus on the more valuable bits, right? And then we'll see that a lot of the people who work in customer service will find themselves focusing a lot more on say revenue generating activities on sales and stuff like that. Um, you know, you'll see that a lot of people move over from data input jobs into data annotation tools so that the software can continue to improve. And I think that the second bit is 
it takes a lot of effort to set these things up. It's far from that kind of like automatic thing. And as we deploy them, we're creating a whole new category of jobs that are about creation, maintenance, and supplying the, um, you know, that whole new machinery with tools. So we're kind of creating a whole new category of jobs. But yeah, I think that, you know, really the more, the more interesting bit is just that transcendence, singularity, and it's really nowhere near that. And I think, you know, even experts in the field are split around whether and when it will happen. Gotcha. And you brought something up where you said it takes a lot of effort to set set this up, and we'll get into that after we start kind of talking about poly AI and, and what it's all about. But uh, I do want to touch on that because I'm I'm fascinated by what you by what you have going on. Um, so let's go ahead and and talk about poly AI and what exactly it is mm-hmm. um and and what your what your core focus is with poly ai now yep so poly ai is a company building voice assistants for automating customer service over the phone uh we build voice assistants that sound exactly like human agents sometimes better they can understand you no matter how you speak maybe you have a foreign accent like me or you're talking really fast, or maybe you're using a speakerphone and the connection is bad. Maybe there's a baby crying in the background or other people talking. Um, regardless of all that, we have systems that have been trained to um, get a really, really high level of spoken language understanding, as opposed to kind of like natural language understanding that you hear a lot of people talk about. That's really from the chat space. For voice, there's a whole new family of technologies that sits one on top of another that help you understand that, you know, for example, what my last name is, because it's not an English last name. It's, you know, uh, it's very complicated. An English speech recognizer does not expect that word because the word does not exist in the English language. So you have to kind of like be able to decipher stuff like that. And that's our bread and butter, being able to support different conversations across different application areas in different languages as well, so that you can express yourself however you want. And you're just, you know, talking about your problem, you're going through, um, the conversation in an order that you set, like you would if you spoke to a human, rather than an automated thing where you have to follow its script exactly. And if God forbid you take the wrong turn, you're lost. And the whole thing becomes very, very frustrating. Our things are very nonlinear. Um, there, it's a conversation as it should be. The moment we can't do something, we'll hand off. So across all of our deployments, across financial services, across hospitality, telco, logistics and delivery, we have large enterprise clients in all of those. Um, we always improve the CSAT score. We improve it by anywhere up to 40%, both CSAT and MPS scores. Uh, at the same time, there are cost savings associated with what we do, but equally in many of our deployments, say in hospitality, it's really revenue uplifts that we're getting for our clients because you never miss a call again. You know, you could have 30 people calling in the dead of night, you'll pick up all those calls, you'll, you'll convert them, and it's really going to help drive your business. So that's what we're about, where, you know, our mission is to put really good voice experiences on any support line you ever need to call. And, you know, frankly, voice assistants right now are a bit disappointing. Well, at least those built by mm-hmm. anyone except Poly AI. And, uh, you know, what we're really trying to do is make voice assistants something that you know, the average caller calling in will be very happy to encounter, right? And if you think about, you know, similar moves in the past, 
like say Ally Bank was the first online bank in the US. And I, you can imagine that a lot of people weren't overjoyed when someone told them, hey, you're going to have a bank and it's just online, right? Because that was early 2000s. A lot of people were uncomfortable with the internet. Um, and you could imagine a lot of problems happening. And yet, you know, today we work with challenger banks in the UK, Starling Bank is one of them. They're the top rated bank, but you know, in terms of customer experience in the UK. Mm-hmm. They've got the mobile app, and they've got the quality of their uh, customer service over the phone. And uh, it just kind of shows that if you can bring a whole new technology to a level that is that good, you're creating an opportunity for um, the adoption of a whole new set of technologies that end up leading to an overall better experience. And when you think about voice assistants now, when you hear that phone, that very weird, awkward, automated thing where you have to repeat yourself three times, of course, you're not overjoyed. But if it was, you know, if you think about websites and maybe 10 years after that moment I just spoke about, now when you know that you can log into something online and not just have to, for example, call, you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty excited because you have a new way of doing it and maybe it's better and maybe it's not, right? And equally, I think we'll come to a point in time where you'll hear like a very good automated voice and you'll be like, great, I'm speaking to someone who knows exactly what they're talking about. It's a perfectly trained agent that's gone through more data, has access to uh, the most up-to-date information in the blink of an eye. It picks up any time of day or night. It understands you no matter what your accent is. Um, it can switch to your whatever native languages if it's not English. And that's just going to be a superhuman experience. And that's what we're about as well. Nice. So there, there was a lot of information in there, <laughs> but I, I kind of want to go back to what you, you talked about on my very first question where you said it takes a lot of work to, to build this. Right. And, and that takes a lot of, of manpower. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, um, navigate all of these, these tricks of, of people, right? Like you have an accent to me, right? Absolutely. I don't have an accent to me. Um, but over, over in the UK, I have an accent, As do right? I. <laughs> so, well, sure. But, but to the British, I have an accent and they sound just fine. I, I took a trip in 2000 over there and they're like, man, you sound brilliant. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, I sound, I sound like a Midwesterner, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I call over there and, and their AI person might, might think, man, this this American, this is tough, you know, sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so how, how do you, how do you get your, your AI to listen and pick up all these nuances on, on the back end? Yep. That's great. That's a great question. So if you think about, if you think about, um, you know, the general setup of all these systems, and, you know, I'll use the opportunity to smear the competition a bit, or at least the incumbents. Um, typically with deep learning or with machine learning of any kind, for a new task, you need a lot of data, training data to get the algorithm to learn, to do whatever you're trying to teach it well. Now, the one trick that really got deep learning going is called pre-training. And it's basically this idea that you might be able to use vast amounts of data 
that may not be exactly the data you're looking for, but contain a lot of good signals that you do need to master, um, to master you know, the task at hand. Um, and you have neural networks going through that pre-training to get pretty good at the rough task that you're gonna expose them to later. So that when they're done with pre-training, you go into the training phase where they may be learning to help someone troubleshoot a router, right? Or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then they don't need much data. They need much less data to do well. And, you know, this was the trick that got speech recognition off the ground with neural networks, image recognition as well. And um, up until now, no one really figured out how to do it for conversational AI, which is why when older school companies doing this, like say Nuance has been a player for this forever, right? They would go into a deployment and it would take them a long time to build something because they would need to create a large data set uh, for that, the specific application at hand before their algorithms would get any good at it, right? Now, if you have something that is really pre, well pre-trained, and it's hard to figure out how to pre-train, right? Um, the analogy I like mm-hmm. to use there is, let's say I was trying to teach you Serbian, right? And Serbian is a Slavic language right. that uses the Cyrillic script or the Latin script interchangeably. But for, you know, the fun in the story, let's say, let's say I give you infinite life and I lock you into a library of Serbian books that are all in Cyrillic, right? Now, presumably, you don't know Cyrillic, or at least you don't know Serbian Cyrillic. So you get in there and you're like, man, I'm going to be really bored here for all of eternity, right? And then since you're immortal, you kind of go and you say, okay, well, I'm just going to start looking at these books. And you might recognize some of the books, right? Because actually Cyrillic and the Latin script share about 50% of the characters anyway. So you'll figure out what the other ones mean, just based on words that may be very similar to English. And we'll recognize the, some of the characters, you'll figure out what the others are. And, you know, after about, well, after, I don't know how long, a few days, you'll be able to kind of read and you'll figure out what it means. And then you'll start, because you'll be really bored because you have infinite life and all you can do is read Serbian books. You're probably going to end up figuring out what a lot of the vocabulary means. You'll map it to English. And over time, you'll start reading, right? And you might not know how to pronounce Mm -hmm. any of those things. They're really weird sounds like sh, ch, j, y, that you won't know how to say, but you'll recognize them lexically, right? And if I let Mm -hmm. you out 2,000 years later, I'd be very willing to bet that you'll figure out a lot of Serbian vocabulary and that you'll be really good friends with those books, right? If you don't tear them up in frustration. So you get out of there and you ask, hey, how do you actually pronounce these five characters? And I tell you, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. And you might have a few more questions about the grammar, about this or that. But in about two days of language learning, which probably won't be the first thing you'll want to do after you're let out of that, you know, infinite library, you'll actually be a perfectly fluent native level speaker of Serbian because you will have had more time to learn about that language than anyone in in history, right? And the same thing is true of our systems when it comes to conversational AI. They learn how to choose the best response um, in many different topics, right? We get data from anything conversational that we have a large scale, Reddit, Twitter, Quora, movie subtitles, anything uh, of the kind, right? And we just go, hey, you've got infinite life, Here's the conversation. We cut it halfway and we say, yo, pick the best answer to that question. Here's a million options. Um, the network does well, you know, we give it the carrot. It doesn't do well, we give it the stick. Uh, it learns and learns and learns. And now, you know, you can run through a lot of data because we're running on GPUs and we're going through billions of conversations. So after its infinite life and pre-training, when it starts learning how to 
understand whether, you know, you're coming in with you and your wife, and that means two people, or you're explaining what's wrong with your internet router, uh, we're able to learn that really, really fast. So where the previous generation of algorithms would need thousands or maybe tens of thousands of examples, we see 10, and we're already doing quite well, which then means that we're able to deploy the system a lot faster. We're talking week to two weeks for every client compared to the previous, you know, give us an arm and a leg, half a million dollars, wait six months and we might have something, right? And if you think about voice assistants, uh, especially in the US, right? You will have experienced them holding large banks, perhaps large telcos, a few other companies. And now if you think about how technology develops, you'll see that small enterprise, large mid-market, they don't really have them. And they don't have them because they were way too expensive. And it only made sense to deploy these things if you had call centers that had thousands and thousands of people, right? But the gain for mm -hmm. the large and the small is huge. It's that superhuman experience if you can get it right, except the smaller guys in the market could never afford this before. So what we're doing now, because we managed to reduce the effort of the deployment and just improve the technology overall, for the large ones, we can get them a better system and we can beat these guys in price. For the smaller guys, we're letting them have an incredible experience. It's actually better than what the big guys used to have. So it's a really exciting time for voice assistants. And you know, I've been working on this for 10 years now. And um, our previous company, it would not have been easy to go into a lot of the conversations that we're going into now and say, hey, we're gonna automate half the things coming into your call center. We would have been laughed out of the room. The only people that were interested in in this kind of technology back at that time were automotives who at that point believed that they might be able to <coughs> Apple, Google, Amazon outside of, outside of, you know, their ecosystems and they'll build systems of their own. And, you know, they excuse me, sorry. and they had to give up on that. But, you know, now after Jeff Bezos, you know, spent so much money on Alexa and, you know, Siri is a part of popular culture, Google Assistant, and Alexa, you know, there's a smart speaker in every other home in America, if not more. At this point, people can imagine a lot more that can be done with this technology. And a lot of it we might have been able to do five years ago had someone given us a chance. But we're fortunate that now is the moment when, you know, people are giving us a shot and we're doing it at, at a pretty large scale now. Okay, so you brought up like Jeff Bezos and Amazon and Apple and Siri, and you used to work for Apple and, and Siri. Um, but they, they still can't do what you guys do and, and they can't do it as well. Why, why do you think that these giants aren't at the level that you guys are? Do they not want to be, or do they just, do they not want to spend the time that you guys no, spend? No, no, that, that would be unfair. We are not better than Google, Apple or Amazon. Right, we're just doing a different thing, right? Um, okay. We are building voice assistants for specific enterprises that help their consumers with a number of things. It may be ten things, it may be twenty things, um, you know. But we're not trying to redefine the experience of living with technology that you can speak to. That's really hard, right? Because every person in the world interacting with their phone or with the smart speaker will have a different idea around what they want to do. Right. And if you okay. think about it, there isn't really a clear spec for what you want to build with that voice assistant. 
there are a few really good use cases and they're far in between, right? Siri was a success primarily because of iPhone owners who are driving for, you know, hours every day and they want to use their phone without actually, you know, using their phone with their hands because that's unsafe while you drive. So it was a really good use case because you get navigation, you could send a text message um, while driving. And that's just a really good use case, right? And that's what, that was like the first big step for voice assistance. We waited a while for the second one. The second one was smart speakers where you're sitting on your couch, you're lazy, you don't want to move and you go, you know, hey, Alexa, play a song, right? Whatever specific song. That's pretty awesome, right? And then you've got some other ones, like say, if you've invested quite a bit into your smart home, you could regulate the temperature, you could regulate the lights. It's pretty cool, right? Those are good use cases. But, um, you know, you might ask various questions and then you're relying on, say, Google has a really good question answering system that's part of that. And, you know, more often than not, you'll get a pretty good answer now when you ask. But is that something that people couldn't live without? Is it a reason that they would pay hundreds of dollars to have it? Some people, maybe, like me or you, they probably would, right? But I think that for the wider kind of like audience, it's not really that exciting. But, you know, we're working on it. And as we get into the Internet of Things and all of that, there will be more and more appealing use cases, right? Now, the challenge that we're working on is very different. We have a very clear set of things that you want to do, right? Like in most of mm -hmm. our deployments, we'll start a conversation. What is your call about? Okay. Well, who are you, right? Can we figure out that you are who you say you are, right? By asking the same questions that a human in the call center will. We do that, right? Then it might be account management. Maybe you're updating a payment. Maybe you're changing an address. Maybe you're making a reservation. Appointment making is a huge, huge use case for, for us, right? And if you're doing all that, we have systems that are now really, really good at understanding it, right? Because they have been trained with that in mind, right? But that's a B2B scenario. And, you know, there is, there are, there, there, there's an incredible number of really good people working at Apple, at Google, and at, and at Amazon, right? Uh, to build these assistants. And they're great, but it's very easy to fold them for the many things that you quickly in your mind imagine they should be doing, and then you get frustrated when they don't. But uh, know that they're spending billions and that they're doing a lot to push not just themselves and their bottom lines, but the whole industry and companies like Poly AI Forward by helping everyone imagine everything that you can do with a voice assistant. And it's, it's hugely exciting. And they, you know, we owe them a great debt for doing all that because I think a lot of it was invested when the ROI wasn't really that clear. For them. On your website, it says you can deploy in two weeks yep. with, with any of your customers, right? So here's, here's what gets me. Like you can, you can go into a bank mm -hmm. and you can have, you can have poly AI deployed in two weeks in a bank, right? You can go into a restaurant and you can have it deployed in a restaurant in two weeks, right? Those are two completely different yep. scenarios, right? So how do you, how do you get this thing to learn to say, Hey, you know, somebody calls in and says, Hey, I lost my credit card. I need a new credit card as compared to, Hey, I have nine people coming in in an hour. Do you have a table ready? And how do you, how do you get your AI system to learn these such different scenarios that quickly and up and running so fast? Yeah. 
So, so look, that, that pre-training bit is essential, right? We have a model that does not need a whole huge number of examples for any one of those things. So that when we start building, or the client starts building with our platform, which, which is another thing we do, they don't need much data, right? And then, then mm -hmm. it's very easy to build it in two weeks. There's a whole different discussion around whether the client is ready, whether their backend systems are ready to integrate with an automated assistant doing these tasks. That can often take much more than two weeks if they don't have it ready, right? Because if you think about, say, a restaurant, it might have a reservation system with APIs, with all the integrations required to, to have that booking happen automatically. And if they do, we're good to go in two weeks, right? Whether they want okay. to roll it out fully in two weeks, that's again in a, a whole different, a whole different world, right? But um, if you if you look at then you know a banking scenario, it's all stuff that we've seen before, right? Because we work with a bunch of banks, sure. we work with a bunch of insurance companies. So then you know we're kind of just adapting to different flows and procedures. So in that case, we can be even faster as long as that information is available. In many ways, okay. when you build a voice assistant, you're codifying your customer experience. Right, you're creating one unified representation, mm -hmm. a sieve through which all the clients will go. So the better your processes and training for human agents is right now, the better the voice assistant will be. And if it's not, then with the voice assistant improving, you can also then often improve those procedures as well. Did you always want this to be like a customer assistance? Um, uh, AI, did it, did it kind of transform into this over time? Is is this where you always wanted this to to be from the beginning, or or what what was your what was your linear progression into this? Yeah, so we, you know, my co-founders, myself, our whole research team, we're spin out from the University of Cambridge. We've worked on building these things for for a very long time, and we're very excited about the technology. Right, we're technologists first. We are technologists <laughs> first. Now. If you think about, um, you know, what it what it takes to kind of like find the market, you have to look at the technology and the product you have first, right? And what we were always focused on is task-oriented dialogue, which means that you start the conversation with an automated assistant for a reason, right? And what better mm -hmm. place for that than customer service, where someone's called a centralized or decentralized function of a company with a particular problem or task in mind, right? So it's the thing that lends itself really well to our technology. Now, the other thing that really deeply motivates me is the fact that there haven't been that many incredible experiences with voice assistants. Just your previous question shows that, right? In that, you know, you're yeah. people, why isn't it ready? Why isn't it good? And, you know, like, we can't argue with you as the consumer. That's how you feel about those things, right? So we clearly have a lot of work left to do. And I think that by doing incremental work where PolyAI as a company contributes to creating very good customer service experiences, we're doing our part to help voice assistants become, you know, a ubiquitous part of human life. That makes it better, not just help those companies with their, with their cost base. Okay. You, you know, that, that kind of leads right into this, this next question. I, I think this is, um, this is great for other founders to hear that are kind of in your situation. So I, I read an article when I was getting ready for this and, and you said something to this effect. Um, so if the product, if you have a new product category that people aren't always familiar with, 
uh, it says, and therefore the customer isn't always right. Right. So explain to me uh, what that means to you, to your company, and what it should mean to other founders in that situation. Right. So the customer isn't always right um, in, in the fact that, like, if they ask for something, you can't always deliver or you shouldn't always right. deliver. Um, so that just fascinated me in, you know, as it comes to your like case study. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so if you, if you think about just the, you know, the task of automating customer service, building a really good brand for a company, very few companies have built really good voice assistants, right? So if they don't mm -hmm. have a long tenure in building them, they don't know what good user experience with a voice assistant is, right? And often we'll start a deployment where we want to be collaborative with a client, right? And they might want the assistant to sound um, like a particular persona. They, they'll pick the age, gender, accent, everything, demeanor, tone, depending on the use case we're doing, right? And they'll know a lot about it and we'll listen very carefully, right? But then as we start designing that conversation, a lot of customers might become very opinionated around what they want each sentence to sound, right? And then a typical, say, example of, of a problem there is that um, they'll provide very long, detailed answers to questions. And you can't really do that with voice. You can do it with chat, right? Because you just paste the block of text and people read whatever they're interested in. With voice, you have to keep it short. It has to be very engaging, and especially with an automated system where you kind of like start with, a, with just a bit more, kind of like, well, with just a bit less goodwill than you do with like a human being, uh, although that's probably going to change. Um, you really have to kind of like fight for every second of that conversation to be a really good engaging experience, right? So you really then have to kind of like revamp the experience according to what you know is good. And, you know, many clients of ours would start with a very long um, verbose greeting explaining that it's a voice assistant and how you should engage with it. Turns out that if you do that, people get really, really anxious and they don't want to talk to it, right? Whereas if you just say, well, mm -hmm. hey, I'm Nicola, I'm Polly as digital host, how can I help? And you say it like that. You don't say it clearly. You make it sound human. You tell them it's automated, but I'm very human, right? I'm some guy with an Eastern European accent and I just picked up the phone, right? At that point, you're like, mm, maybe you didn't even hear that. You heard it, but you didn't really fully register because it sounds so human. Maybe you misheard someone, right? So you go and you say, "Hey, I, I, I need to, I need, I need to make a change to my to my flight because, and you know, I could I could play a bunch of examples of this where people just start telling you their life story, right? Where you know someone called and they maybe want to make a reservation at the hotel, but they have an RV and they need to see where they can park it. And they're coming for that <laughs> event and they're coming to that event with an RV because they went on holiday before that. These are real life examples. So we've got an insurance sure. stash of these. And you say all that. And at the end of it, you go, hmm, we've got parking for oversized vehicles. And by the way, if you need to make a reservation for, for our, for the spa, we can pre-book that as well. At that point, who cares if it's automated? Like the thing did exactly what it should, and you're in no way hampered by the fact that it's automated, right? So you need to allow right. the the system to shine before you kind of like dump all that baggage of speaking to an automated thing to the user. And often at the end of the call, people are chuckling. They're like, this was amazing. This is great. This is phenomenal, right? And uh, that's why we do it. That's why we get a kick out of it. But it's also like you need to be opinionated in product. But this probably wasn't the best answer for, for the founders out there because I think it depends on who you are, right? If you're a product guy, if you're a, a sales guy starting it, then I think, you know, 
you're probably less likely to fall for what a technical founder might fall for, where they believe that their technology is great and that everyone should use it, and they don't listen to um, the market, right? They might have a fundamental problem with product market fit or with timing or maybe with the distribution channel, right? Maybe it, there is a pain that they're solving, but they don't know how to get there, right? So I wouldn't really, you know, I probably said that I say many things. God knows what I've said in this podcast already, right? But um, <laughs> I wouldn't really take that sentence as, you know, a biblical statement because it's, um, for a young founder, it's very important to stay open-minded and not to just kind of like say, I am right. I'm not going to listen to my customers and they should listen to me instead. Right. I, I think I was more getting at, it's important for you when you when you have a, a newer product, a newer product category, to have the chance to have thought leadership mm -hmm. when it comes to your clients. You know, you have to listen. Obviously, you have to listen to what your clients want, um, but you have to have the ability to have that that thought leadership with them. You have to know when to say yes. You have to know when to say no. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to be able to stand your ground, you know? Um, so that, that's kind of where yeah, I was going I mean, with that. You know, and the, that that's what fascinated me about that statement. That, that, you know, I think that, um, all first time founders will go through is at the start, you'll bend backwards as much as you need to win that first client, second client, third client. Right. And the risk there is that you become less opinionated about what your product and its differentiation is. And you'll end up doing a lot of things mm -hmm. that may not be, you know, your, your, your special power. And uh, you need to be careful about kind of like carving out a small piece of land where you build your castle, right? Because you're not going right. to become Microsoft or Google or any one of those guys overnight. And if you kind of like fight a battle on many, many fronts, you're not going to win. Right. So poly AI. Poly means many or mm -hmm. more than one. Where, where did that come from? Yeah, well, I mean, our systems work with a single neural network model across all of our deployments, you know, different verticals, they can speak different languages, you can even flip language mid sentence, and switch to a different one. And the system will continue to hold a conversation with you in, in that other language. So it's something that um, many of us worked on a lot in academia. And when we started, we thought it was one of our biggest advantages, right? Um, it still is. Mm -hmm. And um, we're, we're pretty passionate about that because it means that we have this like, ability to have a single thing that just improves as we deploy it in many different environments. So that's kind of been the dream for, for a lot of things um, that are powered by machine learning. Nice. Nice. So what is, I think we've probably gone over some of this in this conversation already, but what is your big why? as a company. I, I, I know we've, we have gone over some of this here, but I mean, just can, can you explain to everybody, what is your big why? So when you say that you're kind of thinking of why poly AI, why this should exist? Can, can no. Yeah. I mean, just why, why do, why do you, I mean, why do you exist? Why was this so important to you to start? And why 
why is this so important for you? Because I know you're not done with this, and I know that you have a lot more to do in the future. I know that this is going to grow, and and there's going to be a lot more fingers to this, um, you know, as this continues. So, why was this so important for you to start and continue? Look, voice assistants are going to be one of the most important things that will happen to humanity, right? It is a phenomenal mm-hmm. thing because it has a huge commercial battleground, you know, to win and to create a massive mm-hmm. company out of it, but also because it's fundamentally fascinating, right? To create a thing that we can just lead a conversation with that simulates us, that sounds almost like a better version of us, that understands our natural way of communicating is very important, right? And it's, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's fascinating many people. It fascinates me, it fascinates my, um, many people in my company, probably all the people in my company. Um, in terms of like, why now? It's because I think humanity has reached the point where it can dream about having these things everywhere. And why us is because we worked on it for a very long time before most people even saw the commercial opportunity. So I think why do it as a company rather than do it as say researchers is because you actually need to build a powerful engine behind it. You need to invest in the right things. I don't think that say Google invests, Google invests in many things that are amazing things that have like, you know, pushed all of us forward. But in our little part of the universe, we know exactly where to invest to make these, to make these things better a lot faster. But we also had to get them in front of people so they could get better, right? So this kind of like seesaw where you're kind of like um, fighting for adoption before the product's ready, and then you know you're kind of fighting mm-hmm. for for usage when the product's like way too good to not be used. Um, don't know if that gives an answer, right? It's just something that we're really passionate about, and I think that we had to fight for our place in the market to get a chance to bring this technology even further, because it's not just about a few guys in a research lab writing equations and figuring out better optimization functions for neural nets. It's also a highly anthropological problem around how people want to engage with machines. And like we, you know, we talked about it when we talked about these commercial uh, voice assistants, right? It's like, it's not really clear what the best way is. Maybe it ends up being a very slow adoption, or maybe it just takes a few more really great experiences. And I, I, I kind of believe in, in the latter because we need to keep ourselves motivated to improve them, right? If the best we ever got is yeah. we can ask a speaker to play a Taylor Swift song, we've not gone that far, right? But if we mm-hmm. then manage to have an automated thing helping you, you know, fix your router so you can get back to work, that's pretty cool, right? And just a few more things, and then maybe you become a researcher in the field and you contribute way more than. Um, I ever could have, right? And it's kind of like, if we can just get that momentum um, and fire up the dreams of everyone working on it, then we'll build far better things. Nice. So, you know, I, I am fascinated by by this. Um, and I'll, I'll bring this up because I, I really don't think that, that this is uh, somebody that's, you know, a, a threat to you or I, I had a gentleman on a couple weeks ago. His name is James Kaplan. And he is he has conversational AI 
um, it's called Meet Kai, mm-hmm. and he kind of goes, he's he goes directly up against like Siri and and that right, mm-hmm. and it, it was fun and um, just fascinating to me. So I pulled up Siri, and I'm like, give me a restaurant in Sterling. And it pulled up a restaurant, right? And so then I pulled up Mikai, and I'm like, give me a restaurant in Sterling. And it pulled up um, JNL Cafe. So then I asked Siri, I'm like, I don't want JNL Cafe. Give me another one. And Siri's just like, loading, right? Had no idea what to do. So then I, I did the same thing with Meet Kai. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, I said, JNL doesn't sound good to me. Give me another one. I said, well, how about Village Inn? Like, no, I don't want Village Inn either. How about a higher end restaurant? It's like, try Simpkins Cafe. I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like it understands what I'm saying. You know, and you have exactly the same type of thing where it's just, it just understands you. And it's just fascinating to me how we've come so far, really in such a short amount of time, where you can actually talk to a computer and it, it just understands you like like a person would. And it's so much faster. And we don't have to, like you said, you can have 30 people call in in the yeah. middle of the night. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have to have... You don't have to have people up paying them. You know, you can save the company money. You can get better service. And, I mean, everything is just better. And you're not necessarily taking jobs from people. You're getting better better customer service. You can put the people to work the next day working on the things that people need to work on that, that, that computers don't have to work on. It's just, yeah, this, this stuff just astounds me. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it like that, I, we're very lucky now because um, these labor shortages in America and in the UK, um, it actually means that we're helping companies get things done where no one wants to do them, right? So it's actually mm-hmm. the opposite of automation taking jobs away. It's like automation filling jobs that no one wants to do, right? And like, I think this started happening in mm-hmm. Japan first, but I think that, you know, when you look at our demographics, right, and the demographic pyramid, we need automation, right? So it's it's fascinating you need it even from like economic perspective um i won't defend siri in that statement uh so yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it's it was just yeah i mean they're just different they're they're made differently so i i don't you don't need to defend siri or bash siri they're just made differently everyone who looks at building um you know new conversational assistants goes and works on restaurants, right? And it's because all the data sets yeah. um, and things, including some that I raised when I was uh, when I was in academic research, are about restaurants, right? Um, and mm-hmm. restaurants, or maybe you know, tourist domains, and kind of like a few other things. It's a it's a place where everyone does target practice. So um, when you see a new system, everyone always just kind of creates a few new features in restaurants and claims it one over these bigger guys. It's um, it's a tough thing because I completely believe that that guy can do better and his company at some restaurant things. The real problem with taking on a Siri is, well, cool. Everyone's got an iPhone. And what have you got? 
Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely hills to climb, for sure. but it's just it was fascinating, and it was it, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun, and you know, I mean, I, I downloaded it to get ready for the show, and I'm like, oh, this is really cool. It's awesome, you know. Yeah, um, but but same way with you. Okay, we've talked a lot about about work, and we've talked a lot about poly AI. I, I want to dig in a little bit to just just personal um do you do you just focus on on work do you do you have a work life balance how do you how do you balance that um you know do you have do you have a wife and kids do they does your wife like hey you need to focus on us a little bit you know how how do you handle all that um i am i am happily recently married so uh Nice. There must be some, Congratulations. There must be some work life balance. Um, I've been with my wife for a long time, so I, you know, that's a pre poly AI thing that's uh, just flourished during poly AI. She's very ambitious. She worked, she worked in investment banking. I met her while doing an internship at an investment bank. Um, I reneged on that offer to join Vocal IQ, where the CEO, Blaise Thompson, and his co-founder and my future PhD supervisor, Steve Young, just gave me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I was really fascinated by what they were doing. They got me into this and I'm very happy they did. But, you know, um, as I said, my wife is, she was in investment banking. Now she works for a large pension fund and she works pretty hard. So I think that we both have a bit of a distorted work-life balance, but it works very well between us. Um, I work a lot, but it's what I want to do. Um, my my co-founders, my colleagues are my friends, right? This is both right. my life and a lot of my personal life, and uh, I've never been happier, right? So while it may seem like there's very little work-life balance, I feel like my life is pretty balanced and uh, very fulfilled. Well, you know, when you talk about work-life balance, that doesn't have to be a 50-50 thing, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's balanced how how it needs to be balanced for each individual what kind of stuff do you like to do what kind of hobbies and stuff do you have that gets you kind of out of out of work i'm an avid amateur historian i could talk to you about nice. you know both yugoslavia's and their break uh, breakdowns and you know the serbian national history and all of that stuff in, in great detail i think if i lived another life maybe i'd uh, maybe i'd end up being a, a historian um, or at least, you know, competitive debater or a politician. I don't really know. Uh, but that's the kind of stuff I like, and um, it's what some of my friends do. Um, but, yeah, I've got two cats. I, what else can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's enough. Any books that you really like? Any books that you're reading uh, currently or any books that you really, really liked in the, in the, in the past? Frankly, I have been, I used to read so much, and at the moment I just feel like I really regressed in that sense. Um, a book to recommend. I'm really embarrassed myself here, aren't I? Um, no, no, you're fine. Uh, Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference, best manual I've read in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, but back to books. I'm <clears throat> Max Weber and uh, the Protestant ethic mm -hmm. and the spirit of capitalism. 
is one of the best uh, dissections of cultural differences in Europe I've ever read. Um, it talks about nice. just how Calvinism is different from, say, Catholicism. I'm Serbian, so that's that's then a whole different part of Europe, but a lot closer to, sure. to the Catholic viewpoint. Um, I, it talks about how the idea of predestination shaped early America and created a more functional and a different capitalist culture than, than that in, say, Southern Europe. Um, it's very interesting. It's, it's a good read. Won't help many founders, but it's a good read. I read that. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. There's, there's a lot of founders that don't necessarily read books about business. They just like to read. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, well, couple, couple more questions, uh, before we, before we finish this thing out, these are, these are a couple questions that I ask, uh, everybody that's on this show. Sure. Um, what advice would you give to founders or soon to be founders that are going to watch this program? Mm. It's a good question. It, it, it sounds to me a bit like there are more and more aspiring founders, right? And, um, mm-hmm. You know, we have we have many interns, for example, and a lot of them go like, "I really want to be a founder," and I think that's cool. But I don't think it's the the end all of careers. I almost feel like for a lot of people in good universities, they're now the new career track is I got to start a company, right? And it kind of sounds mm-hmm. very similar to the previous I got to go into investment banking or management consulting, right? And what I'd say is first, like, okay, like, is it your ego playing with you, or do you really have a reason to start a company, right? And I mean, many people have started and built good companies sure. only to feed their egos, right? Um, I think it helps if you've got something else. And um, the second thing is just co-founder. Like, people who can do it on their own are fascinating. They're mental fortresses and well done to them. Most people aren't like that. I could not have done this right. without my co-founders. It's very important. It's a relationship that... You know, you can't really get out of that easily. It's a bit like a marriage. So pick carefully um, and pick someone that you really admire for things that you know you couldn't do nearly as well. I think that's that's really important. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, and then what is the best way for our viewers to get in touch with you? Nicola at polyi.com. <laughs> nice. All right, buddy. Nicola. It was great to have you. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for I enjoyed having this me. One. It was a pleasure. Yes, sir. You have a good evening over there in London town. Thank you. Thank you very much.